you have your Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 4. I was reading an article this week, and it was mentioning the, uh, the pressures that we face in society. And uh, the whole focus of the article was that we're under pressure like probably never before in history. Financial pressure, relationship pressure, family pressure, fashion pressure. How many of you women went, I have nothing to wear this morning? Irregardless <laughs> of what you have, you have nothing to wear because there's political pressure, there's pressure to be politically correct, there's just all kinds of pressure. And then often we come to church and there's religious pressure. My goal today is to relieve you from pressure. Now you're going to find out why that's important because we're talking about evangelism. Not to be pressured. Ephesians chapter 4. We've been talking about equipping the saints. And from uh, verse 11, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So these gifts equip and edify, build us up, till we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God of God to a perfect man or mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So these things are actually equipping us and building us up until we become like Jesus. So we've talked about what the apostolic does, what the prophetic does, what the teaching gift does, and we want to talk about the evangelists today. But let me say this. If we understand the scripture right, we all need all of these. We can't say, well, I like that one, and I don't like this one. So I'm going to just focus on that. We might have one that we tend to resonate with a little bit more, but that doesn't mean that we don't need the others, because it's not about what I like, it's about becoming like Jesus. And he gave these gifts so that we'd be like Jesus. So we need them all. So today, we're talking about the evangelists. I have a confession to make, following in line with Julianne. I'm not an evangelist, and I always felt pressure whenever anyone talked about evangelists. I had this image, this conception, when I was young, when I was uh, in my early teens, I went to a Billy Graham crusade. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> Me and Billy Graham, really close, though. No. And, I, and I saw hundreds and hundreds of people respond to the gospel. And so my image of a evangelist was this guy who speaks to huge crowds in big arenas. It was either that, or it was these guys who preach on street corners how many of you have ever run into those? They stand there and they preach and nobody listens to them. But the Salvation Army was first established. A guy named William Booth would preach on the streets and bring people out. And Mary has a relative who preached with 
William Booth. And so my concept was either these guys with these crusades or these guys who stood on the street corner preaching and nobody listened. And so every time we talked about evangelism, I kind of went, Argh. So some of you have already done that this morning. <laughs> Remember, we're going to get set free today. They did listen to William Booth. We actually saw it, it different different places respond differently, but in some places, like we we traveled quite a few times into Brazil, and the teams there would just bring up a uh, a flatbed truck with a, a band, and thousands of people would gather because they were just wandering around the streets. They didn't have any electricity. They had no TVs. They they weren't at home. They were just out on the street, and so there was entertainment. And uh, you, you try to do that here. It's not quite the same. Uh, but irregardless, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Verse 18, and Jesus is speaking. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Why am I reading this? Because I want you to see something, and we're going to talk about this. There's a whole lot of scriptures we're going to look at. But where it says to preach the gospel to the poor and to proclaim liberty are actually two different ver uh, words in the Greek. And the word proclaim comes from the root caruso, means to be a herald, to proclaim, to public declaration. But the word preach comes from evangelic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Greek word, which literally means to announce good news, bring good news. It's not the same as preaching. Two separate words. One is actually to bring good news. The focus is on the good news. The other is, is actually on the public declaration. Verse 43. And he told them, I must preach the kingdom of God to these other cities. That's the evangelizo, which, we, which is where we get the word evangelism from. And uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And it came to pass afterwards that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. That's those two words. Preaching, sharing the good news, and proclaiming or bringing glad tidings. Chapter 9, verse 2. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God. That's the proclaim. It actually, should say he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Verse 6, and they departed and they went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. That's that bringing good news. One more, Acts chapter 8. Just hang with me here for a couple minutes. In verse 4 and 5, Therefore they were scattered, when, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip went down to the seat of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Again, two different words. They scattered everywhere preaching the word, and he went down to Samaria and proclaimed Christ to them. Why is that important? Because the word that's translated preach doesn't actually mean preach. 
from how we would understand preach. Preach is stand up in front of a group of people and proclaim something, but it actually means share the good news. That's what that word means. We translate it preach, but that puts us under this wrong impression. There is the proclaiming. There is the declaration, the Billy Grahams and, and those guys, which is, which is fantastic. But the word evangelist literally means sharing good news. Not necessarily proclaiming. So here it takes the pressure off. You don't have to stand on the street corner and preach to do the work of an evangelist. You can, but you don't have to. I went to a prayer meeting in a church once and another leader was leading and as we got there to have this prayer meeting, this leader said, instead of spending time praying today, we're going to take these invites and we're going to go out into the, the uh, shopping center. We're going to invite people to church. And something within me went, <laughs> I don't want to do that. One, because I felt a little bit manipulated. I'd actually come to pray. But... I realize that you know there's people with different personalities. Yet when we're talking about these gifts that Jesus gave, they apply to everybody. And there's something that's impacting all of us. Again, there are people who resonate with that. People who love to go out on the streets and talk to people. And that's fantastic. If you're one of those, praise God. But if you're not, it doesn't mean that you don't need to be equipped and built up in the area of evangelism. You just might need a different preconception. Acts 1.8. Three more scriptures. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 10, verse 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. We're witnesses of these things. And one more. Chapter 26 and verse 16. But rise and stand on your feet. This is Jesus speaking to Paul, his, sharing his testimony. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Here's where I set you free today. You're called to be a witness, not a lawyer. What's a witness? A witness simply shares what they've seen or experienced. If Jesus touched you, you can share that. That's your testimony. Now, we might have a testimony. We think our testimony is how we got saved, and it could be that, but it could simply be you were sick, and someone prayed for you, and God touched you. As Elaine was sharing earlier, she told me afterwards, she, she left out the, the most important part, is that she got prayed for, and God touched her. And for four and a half years, she hasn't had a reaction to the, uh, the chemo that she's been taking. 
That's a testimony. But see, you're not a lawyer, and too often we have this idea that we're a lawyer. Lawyer, we have to make the case. You know, a lawyer has to answer all the questions and win the jury over. And so I was raised in a, as I've said, a evangelical church, and we had all these classes on evangelism, and we had classes on talking to Mormons and talking to Jehovah Witnesses and talking to uh, and classes on humanism. And basically, we, our concept, our subconscious concept was that we were the lawyers and we had to answer every question. You know what they say to lawyers? Don't ever ask a question you don't know the answer to. You've got to know what's happening. You're leading your, uh, the, the witness on the stand to the conclusion you want. You know what? You don't have to do that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He's the lawyer. And he actually calls you as a witness. And says, I'm working on this person. I've got all these things. I want your testimony. Have you ever thought simply, Lord, what part of my testimony do you want me to share with this person? Not how do I win them to Jesus. What part of my testimony? See, the bottom line is, if we don't believe the Holy Spirit's at work, then we feel this huge weight that we have to do it all. This pressure. People are going to a Christless eternity. And if you don't share the gospel, their blood will be on your head. And I'm feeling... (laughs) But the thing is, the Holy Spirit is pursuing them. And he might simply say, what's your testimony? He calls you as a witness, puts you on the stand. He's got all the answers. He's building the case. He's convincing the jury. And he simply says, Christy, share about this time when I touched you. And you do that. And the Holy Spirit works. Sometimes, We're the end of the road. You know, they actually say that most people have six contacts with the gospel before they make a decision for Jesus. That means the first time they hear, they usually don't respond. Doesn't mean that they can't, but it often takes a while. The Holy Spirit's at work. And so sometimes we're the end of that process, and we get to introduce someone to Jesus. That's wonderful. But it's not what we did that that brought it about. It's what the Holy Spirit does. We've got to trust the Holy Spirit's at work. I met a guy in South Africa who lived in India for a number of years. And he got to the point where his whole ministry while he was in India was he would just ask people. He'd meet them and he'd ask them, have you had a dream or a vision of the man in white? Found hundreds of people who had dreams or visions and didn't know what it was. And he said, let me tell you about it. He'd share Jesus with them and many of them would get saved. He'd meet someone, have you had a dream or vision of the man in white? And they say, no. And they say, fine. Didn't try and convince them. He'd just go find the, the one who had. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit who's at work. It's the Holy Spirit who's drawing people to Jesus. Didn't say, oh, okay, whoever I meet, I've got to force them into a decision for Jesus. Mary and I lived in an island in the Pacific uh, called Saipan for a while. And we had 
brother guy who had come over as part of a different organization, a ministry, and he'd come and he was a gung-ho evangelist. And these guys had a little process, a little method that they would use in talking to people and they would go on the university campus in, in Guam and they would meet people and say, do you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? And there was a series of four questions that brought them to a place of making a decision for Jesus. And every single person they talked to followed along and no one said no and they all prayed the prayer and made a decision for Jesus. 200 in the first week. Sounds exciting. They invited them all to a discipleship time and not one showed up. Because in the Pacific Islands, tomorrow people uh, hate confrontation. So they won't say no. But this was a very confrontational approach. Do you know God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Okay. Lead them through and they're they're just saying yes all all the way and, and they come to the conclusion. But the bottom line is, it wasn't a heart thing. So who is Jesus pursuing? Jesus said something amazing. He said, no one comes to me unless the Father in heaven draws him. He didn't say no one comes to me unless Johan draws them. No one comes to me unless Richard draws them. He said no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. Now, I believe God's looking to reach people. They're just at different points on that journey. They don't know. So, deep breath. Do you feel less pressure? We're talking about evangelism, but you don't have to go preach on the street corner. Again, if you enjoy doing that and you're led by Jesus, go for it. I think that's wonderful. So what's the good news? An evangelist is simply someone who shares good news. What's the good news? Two things. The good news is anything God's done for you. Part of that's your testimony. Anything. Whether he's protected you, provided for you, healed you, uh, restored you, redeemed you. That's all testimony. That's good news. We live in a world with, under incredible pressure, but without hope. Can you imagine all the pressure that people are under? And there's no hope. Jesus is our hope. Our command is to have a reason for the hope that is within us. Why do we have hope? Because of Jesus. Why can we approach the same pressures that everyone else has, but be joyful about it? Because we're crazy? Yeah. Because we're insane? That's what they think. No, because of Jesus. We're not oblivious to the, the circumstances of the world. But we have a different perspective. So good news is anything God's done for you. But it's also a bigger picture. And that is that we can be restored to relationship with God. The Bible's very clear that our sin separates us from God. 
And Jesus died in our place so that our sin can be removed. My uh, granddaughter, who's 10, was studying. She wrote a whole thing on the kingdom, but she wrote on salvation. And she wrote a paper and made it very clear. Jesus did not die for me. He died in place of me. I deserve to die. I'm the one who sinned. He didn't deserve it. He died in my place. Not just for me. See, we're the ones who deserve to die. Why? Death is being eternally separate from God. We would be eternally separate from God, but he died in our place. So we can know him. John 17, 2 says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and the Son whom you've sent. Not that they know about you, not that they study you, not that they have a religious belief, not that they go to church, but that they know you. Let me say this as an aside. Church is not the answer. I was talking with a guy last week. I think I shared this, but his whole focus was the church he grew up in. And he was disappointed. How often do we think church is it? Mary was raised in a Presbyterian church. In that church, you go to a class, a catechism class. You learn information. And if you pass the class, you join the church, and that's what they call salvation. You've joined the church. Now you're saved. She never heard the gospel until her mid-teens. Though she was raised in the church, never heard the gospel. It was all about church. I know a lovely lady who asks people regularly, are you going to church? You can go to church and not know Jesus. I went to church for 11 years and didn't know Jesus. I learned a lot of good things, met some wonderful people, learned some, some good truths, but did not meet Jesus. Shortly after we moved here, I was talking to a guy, and for about 45 minutes, he was telling me how terrible the church was. And he'd been hurt, and I understand that. But after a while, I finally said, you've told me about the church but where are you with Jesus? And he went, that's an interesting question. I haven't read my Bible in nine months. Let me tell you, the Bible is not your salvation. It's the message, but you can read the Bible and still not meet Jesus. There are theologians who study the Bible who don't know Jesus. It's interesting that his response was, where are you with Jesus, was I haven't read my Bible. The real question is, have you met Jesus? Do you know him? Not is church where you've learned values. Not is your family happy if you go to church. But do you know Jesus? That's the big picture. That's what salvation is. Knowing him. As I said, I went to church for a lot of years. Knew a lot about Jesus. Heard a guy preach one day about the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And my eyes were opened. 
and I realize I know a lot about Jesus. I've read the stories. I went to Sunday school. I heard all the, the stories. I went to church, but I hadn't actually met Jesus. And I said, Lord, I want to know you. And everything changed. Now, from the outside, it looked like nothing changed. Because I actually was a good kid. I behaved. I did the right things. I looked like a good Christian. But a good Christian isn't what you do outside. It's whether you know Jesus inside. God wants to set us free from a pressure, but free to share the good news. As you meet people, you don't have to win them to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's doing that, but maybe he'll say, share this part of your testimony. You meet someone who's sick and God has touched you at some point and you've been healed and you say, you know what? Jesus healed, I, I was healed. They go, oh really? Now what happens if you pray for them and they're not healed? Absolutely nothing. I've never met someone who was angry that I prayed for them. I've often asked people, can I pray for you? They say, yeah, so I'll pray for them. And you know what? Occasionally, they, they don't feel anything. They don't feel a change. Something doesn't happen immediately. But they always feel loved. I've never had anyone say, why did you pray for me? I've told you the story before, but we had a lady in our church in, in Melbourne. And she was at the uh, accountant. I felt the Holy Spirit say, pray for the receptionist who had a skin problem. She had eczema on her skin, and she's just the gal from our church. Her name was Raquel. And uh, her mind was on business, and she was seeing the accountant, and she said, Lord, I, I just, I don't have faith for that. And uh, that's, you know, not where her mind was. And the Holy Spirit just said, but I want you to pray for her. And she went, okay. I don't think anything's going to happen, but I'll pray for her. So she went and I said, I see that you have this. I've seen God heal people. Can I pray for you? The guy said, yes. Probably thinking she was going to pray for her next time she went to church. She grabbed her hands right there and prayed for her. And you know what happened? Nothing that she saw. But two days later, she gets a phone call from this receptionist who woke up the next morning absolutely healed. Waited 24 hours to see if she was really healed. And then she called Raquel and said, you've healed me, you've healed me. And Raquel said, no, I didn't heal you. Jesus healed you. Now when Raquel prayed for her and nothing happened, she went back over and sat down waiting to see the uh, accountant and said, Lord, I told you nothing would happen. <laughs> she didn't know. She said, but I told you. And the Holy Spirit said to her, well done, good and faithful servant. And Ra Raquel learned at that point, the results are not her responsibility. The obedience is her responsibility. Why did 
Jesus wait until the next day? I've always wondered about that. I think simply so that Raquel would learn, hey, it's not about you. You just simply get to obey. So maybe as we're talking about being a kingdom of priests, becoming like Jesus, one of the aspects of that is we get to share the good news with people. Maybe the good news you share is simply what God's done for you. Just feel released. You don't have to do the whole thing. You don't have to convince the jury. You don't have to answer every question or be able to answer every question. Most of us never ever share because we're afraid, well, what if they ask this? So we spend weeks studying that and nobody ever asks. And then we're ready to, to share and we say, but what if they ask this? So we spend weeks studying and nobody ever asks. What if they ask to know Jesus? God wants to set us free. But the real question is, have you met Jesus? I struggled with sharing this this week because it seems so simple. And I think, okay, I know most of you. I know where you are. And I just felt God say, no. There's people who've been to church most of their life who've never met me. So I'm going to ask you if you just bow your head. I ask you to bow your head just so you're not distracted by other people. It's not more spiritual. It's not more holy. Jesus said, this is eternal life. That you know him. God and the Son whom He has sent. Now I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Have you met Him? Not do you know about Him? Not have you studied theology? Not have you heard messages? Have you actually met Jesus? Not have you gone to church? But have you met Jesus? If you haven't, we'd love to introduce you to him this morning. He's why we worship. He's why we gather. And if you don't know him, it might not make any sense. You might go to church and find it boring. You might find the songs boring. Why do they sing those? When you know Jesus, all that changes. Would you, uh, can I ask all of you if you'd stand? I realize that I've asked you to sit there and bow your heads and some of you are going to fall asleep on me. If you don't know Jesus, we'd love to introduce you to him.
you know, too often we kind of make this, if you've ever been to church, we have everyone close their eyes and bow their heads and don't look around and then you can raise your hand and nobody knows. And uh, it's kind of, kind of like, okay, I can be a follower of Jesus without actually telling anybody. Jesus says this, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I don't actually think that the bow your head, close your eyes, lift your hand while nobody can see is the best response. I think the best response is, well, everyone's looking. You say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know him. Oh, but that's so scary. Yeah. <laughs> but it's very real. So if you don't know him, I'm going to invite you just to come up to the front. There's some people who'd love to introduce you right now. Not afterwards, but right now. If you haven't met him, yeah, I know it's a bit difficult. I'm not trying to embarrass you. But there's something supernatural that happens when we say, God, I really want to know you. Something supernatural when we actually meet him. I did that when I was a teenager. A few years later, alone in my dorm room at university, I said, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. All alone. Nobody prayed for me, and God touched me. So I know that he can do that. It, he can do it when we're alone. Okay, I'm not saying you have to come to the front to, to meet Jesus. That's not the, the methodology. Okay, if you didn't ever come to the front, you've never met Jesus. That's ridiculous. Okay, but you can. If you find that too daunting, but you'd still like to meet Jesus, when we're dismissed to have coffee, you can come. And I'd love to pray with you. But for all the rest of us, can we just say, God, I want to be released to partner with you from every misconception of evangelists, every pressure that says I have to be a certain way. I've got to be one of those guys with long dreads and lots of tattoos so I can confront people on the streets. I met an evangelist I picked up at the uh, airport in Denver, I mean in uh, Melbourne uh, last year. And he was like that and it was we got onto to an elevator in the parking structure, and there's probably a dozen people on this elevator, and he just says, this is the lucky elevator today. <laughs> and everyone went. <laughs> Nobody would look at him. Now, he, he was an evangelist. But in this day and age, too often people think, okay, people who do those type of things, they're either on drugs or they're mentally disturbed. You know, the, the guys who stands on the, on the street corner on the box, you ever seen those? We were walking in Adelaide a number of years ago and as we walk across the street, there's this guy preaching and people are just walking by and he's preaching, you're all going to hell! And people are just walking by and everyone, you know, instead of stop listening, they just put their head down. And, and, and everyone's thought was, this guy's probably mentally disturbed.
No, I'm not saying it was. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you don't have to do that. Unless the Holy Spirit tells you to. Now, if the Holy Spirit tells you to, you better do it. But too often, that was our preconceived idea. So, Holy Spirit, we just lay before you all our misconceptions, all the pressure, and we simply say, would you free us from all of those so that we can simply share the good news with the people we come in contact with? In Jesus' name. One last thing. Uh, I've been stirred this last few weeks about the church in Iran. About 5,000 people a day are getting saved in the nation of Iran. One of the fastest growing uh, sections of the church in the world right now. About 200,000 people get saved around the world every day. Okay, but 5,000 in Iran, which is one of the uh, Muslim strongholds. And I actually was doing the math and figure out if the same moving of the Spirit happened in Australia, there would be about 1,700 people a day saved. And based on population and deal, that means for Launceston, that would be about seven people a day. About 50 people a week. And that's just become my prayer. God, will you give us 50 people a week for the kingdom? Not for our church. It's not about our church. It's about the kingdom. We can handle 50 people a week. Well, we probably could for a week or two, but not, not too much longer after that. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you if you would just join me in, in praying that way. 50 people a week. The same move. It's not asking for extra. It's the same thing God's doing in a Muslim nation. Can he do here? Lord, we simply ask you, in this city for 50 people a week to come to the kingdom. Seven people every day. Lord, we, we at, cry out to you. You're the one who draws them. We ask for the same moving of your spirit here that we're seeing in Iran. Father, in this city, 50 people a week. We simply ask you, Lord, we, we can't make it happen. We can't force something to happen. But we believe that there is a moving of your spirit. There is a equipping of the church and a releasing of ministers. And that all of us are ministers. And if the church gets a hold of that and we simply share the good news of what you've done for us with other people, there's an opportunity for people to come to know you. And so, Lord, we simply ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Coffee and tea, enjoy some. If you need someone to pray with you or if you'd like to meet Jesus, there'll be some people here to pray with you in the front. Thanks for Julianne and the uh, team for leading us in worship. Great job this morning. Amen. <laughs>